This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I am this week's party host. I am the platforming prodigy. I am Mark Robinson. Dave Ryan might be getting in the door right now, but he's not here this week. But to my left, my trusty companion, my faithful, my faithful friend, my best friend in the whole world. He is the Sidona Simp. He is Jack Lazel. Jack, it's good to see you and talk to you again this week. Wow, that was like the nicest intro like i don't even have a sarky quip back for that that's just a genuinely nice thing to say i'm all right mate thank you very much um i uh i i really am lost for words uh, i mean like normally my my stock reply would just be to say something stupid or horrible or ask you like what the best food to have is with eggs um but hey i'm just gonna say thank you buddy how are you yeah, I'm. I'm actually doing very well this week. Uh, we we all were a little bit sick in the house, but we're all doing better now. And uh, yeah, just I just cracking on with this game, and it's all sort of coming together. And it's it's kind of wild at the moment, but uh, yeah, we're doing pretty good. I did see. Um, so, <laughs> the apartment that we live in, we're on the first floor. And we are even less than a stone's throw from the bike shed that's next to us, uh, which is like, it's actually like a kind of brick building that you can actually climb up the top and through. Um, And we were the other night just kind of minding our own business. It's about nine o'clock in the evening. And we've looked outside the window and we can see that a guy is like kind of shuffling around. We can't see him. We can kind of just see the shadow because the brick wall's in the way. Batman. And, And... we suddenly realized that he's trying to get a bike and he's trying to throw a bike through the bit at the top, which is a very kind of narrow space to work with. And he was never going to get it through. BMX Batman. And we were just trying to figure out like, you're going to make me lose my mind. (laughs) You're definitely trying to steal that bike. And uh, I've, I've never seen like someone try to jack a bike in person, but this guy was trying to do it through a space that was definitely not possible. And, and Maria starts calling out like, hey, are you stuck in there? Do you need help? It's like, Maria, come on now. And obviously he doesn't respond. And then it gets to the point that he jumps out, runs up to one of the other bike racks, steals a bike that he'd already, I guess, uh, taken the, the lock off of and uh, went on with his merry way. And... I don't know. IV2, actually, you know, before that, I'm going to bring Garrett in. Uh, the, the Nexus of Humanity, Garrett Kidney making his uh, long awaited return. Garrett, how are you? I'm doing good. Just the thought of BMX Batman making me think of DMX Batman has made me happy now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all going to make me lose my mind because I already lost my parents. Up in here. <laughs> and now I'm going to wrap you into the question I was going to ask. Is that if I was that rap, ever seen was that a pun on DMX? Because if it was, very it well wasn't. Done. No, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm, I'm going to claim that it was. Uh, have I of you two ever seen uh, like a, a robbery in person or anyone trying to do something dastardly? And then obviously you, as Batman, try to kind of get in the way. I, I have been robbed. Oh, oh, okay. That's that's even worse. I was robbed. Yeah, no. So I'm just standing there. It was during the pandemic. I was standing there, like at the lights, in like broad daylight in Cheson, with like maybe there's like ten people around, barely any people, and someone rode by me on a bike and just just took my phone. I remember oh. this. I remember you talking about this now. Actually, yes, during the pandemic. Yeah, I was like, hey, what the hell? You know, I think about all the time I've spent on the streets of London and, like, you know, like, not exactly reputable areas, you know, going to bars or whatever, and you just think, like, you wouldn't expect it in, like, a really quiet, sleepy Hertfordshire town, but but it happened. Uh, 
I rang the police and all of that business, but nothing obviously happened. I mean, um, what are they going to do? It's, well, I had to get know. a crime number, claim it on my insurance. You know, I, I do. Ah, like to, I see. You know, you know me. I like to steer clear of the popo usually, Mark, uh, just in case. But hey, what can you do? I've never seen anybody steal other than that like, that happened to me i've never seen anyone steal something in that manner I, i've seen fights but yeah never an open theft i think the fights are probably the worst crimes i've witnessed for myself everyone's far too behaved in cork for those sorts of shenanigans i, I believe garrett yeah so. we're too small we're all too nice everyone knows each other that's what the problem is I am well known for wandering the streets late at night. So if anybody's going to stumble across crimes, it is me. I am always yes. out late at night, like two in the morning. But, I'm not, not going to lie, Garrett. I have occasionally kind of like worried for your well-being, um, just, you know, in general for being a notoriously online person like me, but also just because of your sort of um, adventures out at 2 a.m. in the morning. I don't, even in like a, a, a place that would be like a well kind of known safe environment for me, I'm not fan of walking late at night so it's uh it, and it's a thing that you do on a consistent basis yeah and people are people are always like do you never do you not feel unsafe or it's like no there's no one around ever <laughs> you go walking and like literally not a car on the road i don't live like in the back of beyond i live in a pretty big suburb of cork and you still go out at night there's just there's just nobody there <laughs> nobody has tried to rob me or jump me there's no one around it's just me on the streets People looking out their windows, seeing it's that guy again. So I know one wants to start a fight in Cork. Everyone's scared of Garrett. They know I'm he, roaming no, wait, the streets. Wait. I could be around he's any like, corner. He's he like fucking is Omar Batman. from The Wire. <laughs> just like, Garrett coming, Garrett coming. And everyone just, just shoots away. Garrett, normally the streets are bustling, but they, they see you on the horizon and they're fucking getting out of there, mate. They're, they're, they're terrified. They're trembling. They're like hiding behind bins and bushes, watching as I walk past. Exactly, yeah. Wouldn't you want that to be true? A little bit. It's a little Truman Show-ish, though, that like there is somebody out of sight at all times watching you. Do you know what I love about the Truman Show? Is, aside from it like being a genuinely great movie, it really does feed into everybody's like thing they have just a little bit deep down that they are the protagonist of reality. <laughs> like... I feel like there's an innate desire for everybody to just feel like, hang on a second, what about me in this situation? <laughs> like, no matter how selfless, kind, and good-natured you are, everyone always does have that feeling like, yeah, but what what do I gain from this situation? So, yeah, I think that's, that's absolutely brilliantly captured in there. Uh, but yeah, Garrett, I, I just assumed the streets of Cork were like cats, and there were sort of giant people like in costumes roaming and singing the streets as, as, as you walked along behind you. There is a bizarre number of foxes. That yeah. Android Lloyd Webber musical? Android Lloyd Webber is a- <laughs> Yeah, that's the AI version of them that they're going to dig up soon enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, have you seen some of the AI, like, AI photos this week that have been coming out? Like the really overly stylized ones. I mean, haven't they been coming out for like the last six months no, now? No, but like they're getting really good, Mark. Like scarily good. They look like fucking oil paintings. I don't know. I still find like just there's something about them. There, there's a, a certain tangible inhumanity. Quali- quality is not the right word, but there's just something where you look at them, it's like that. Just they look like trash to me. I can't fucking stand them. But it's apparently you know blue tick three four five on on Twitter or X is telling me that that's the future. So what the fuck do I know? 
It's that and removing URL links from uh, from from fucking. What, what is it that Musk did yesterday or today? He took the um, like subtitles off a news article. Like if you link to another website, it would do like a little blurb at the bottom of whatever the link was to say, you know, what website it was, and then like the title of the page. So it'd say like I don't know, you know, the Guardian, like you know, Roy Hodgson drives Crystal Palace to one 0 victory up fucking Old Trafford or something. I don't know. Um, Whereas That's now, yeah. whereas now it well, it literally happened last week. Yeah. Whereas now, <laughs> whereas now it would just be a picture of Roy Hodgson looking like an owl, and you would have no idea that it was actually a link. It's just a photo. So that I have been tricked a few times now, just like clicking into a like photo. So I'm like, this is a really strange looking photo. Uh, so I've clicked it just to see a bit more, and it's taken me to a website. So yeah. Um, Elon Musk continues to make the thing that he spent $44 billion worth on less user-friendly and worse. Go figure. And it is now worth less than the debt that is held by the company. But yeah, that, I, I like that the idea to good things. I like the idea that he's trying to do these things to make people spend more time on Twitter as if we didn't already spend a fucking uncomfortable amount of time on Twitter anyway. Like, you're okay, Musk. Like, we're not going anywhere until you start charging us or subscription every month that isn't actually the blue tick thing um i don't know it, also twitter has always 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 been the worst place to send other people to go somewhere else yeah like yeah. In, in terms of click through twitter has always been terrible so now they're like that's the problem too many people are clicking through these articles and not coming back to twitter it's like no you can't make any money on twitter if you're good at twitter you want to drive yeah, people I, to other places where you can make money I don't know about you, Garrett, but like, you know, the, the last job that I was in, um, we used, you know, the primary kind of uh, social media channels and whatnot. And yeah, it was the case. Like Twitter was always like like less than a percentage of a click through uh, success rate, conversion rate compared to fucking Instagram, Facebook or whatever else. You got nothing from Twitter. I, I don't know. <laughs> Instagram is huge for that kind of stuff now. Like, I yeah, feel but it's like mainly the- because you know there's a you know you stumble across a pretty lady and then you click on the link and then before you know it, oh my god there's like what's going on here it's instagram's a scary place oh no i mean i don't get that so much i just get like <laughs> weird inventions where it's like buy this box there's also a phone charger and a can opener and i'm like the fuck is this shit and then i click it every time because i'm like that is actually insane but because i've clicked a few times now i just get like these really weird unnecessary household appliances now that i i I just have absolutely no need for i haven't ever purchased one as well so yeah instagram is weird is that is it timu that company who makes stuff for like three pound or something where like i I clicked on a link a few days ago and it was like showing you all the things on their homepage. and it was like you know t-shirts start from like 23 pence trainers start from one pound 20 and i'm like fuck me like if i wanted to live really cheaply i could just pretty much buy everything from timu for, for about 100 quid like you could fill up a wardrobe by the looks of it um, yeah, I remember the days of using us. AliExpress, and you'd buy something super cheap, but then have to wait six months for it to arrive. That's 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 the origins. Did they ever find that guy? The guy that was it? Is it Jack Ma? The guy who's like the thing of AliExpress, and he disappeared for a while. Did they ever find him? Yeah, they sent him for delivery, and we're still waiting for him to turn up. I want to Google that. Yeah, yeah, he's still around. Let's move on. We, we've, we've dragged this uh, intro as far as we can. Um, it's called a podcast, Mark. <laughs> We're casting our pods. 
we dragged this podcast as far as we can. Yeah, yeah. We'll see you next week, everybody. For more talk about disappeared Asian businessmen. Uh, that would actually what? be a great podcast where it's just like it's just the intro every week, oh. and then you end the show. That'd be amazing. Just yeah, oh. just the intro podcast. Honestly, I think you'd do a better rate in terms of getting people to listen to the whole thing through. Um, but anyway, let's move on. Garrett, I'm going to start with you this week. Let's have a little catch up. Um, you got two things on the agenda, so let's go. So released on Netflix a few weeks ago at this stage was a seven part documentary series called Wrestlers, which oh. follows Ohio Valley Wrestling led by one of the greatest creative minds in the history of the business, as the documentary told me, Al Snow. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yeah. It, the, was the, this was this was this like paid for directed screenplay produced by Al Snow? <laughs> no, it was made by BBC Studios. So like, the, there's what? There's some like honest to goodness reasonable weight behind this. And it like when you watch it, you're like, oh, this is a well made documentary. This isn't just some bullshit. This is people who have like a reasonably good, decent craft of a documentary format making a documentary about Ohio Valley Wrestling, the third biggest wrestling company in america they tell me mark <laughs> that is, is a, it even the it's even the I mean, top like 10. back in 2005 maybe yeah, how good would that have been when like Heyman and punk were there that would have been incredible so as you might expect because it's about wrestling there is an untold amount of bullshit in this documentary mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there is a a lot of utter nonsense they explain wrestling in terms that is just like stupid where you see al snow giving a seminar it's like you gotta get heat on the bad guy so people like the good guy as if that's like revolutionary groundbreaking thinking that that just blows everybody's minds and not the fundamental basis of literally any story ever told do you know what that sounds like do you remember what was that fucking that one-off show in the the 90s that was like wrestling's greatest secrets exposed and fucking like all the wrestlers had masks on so you you didn't know i can't remember who they actually had in there but they were talking about like all of the the, the kind of secrets to it and how there was like uh, an old lady in the ring who was a plant that was actually one of the the wrestlers like grandmother or something and we're talking about how the pile driver and how it was protected i, I can't remember what it was it was like a one-off like american show and it sounds exactly like that where it's like well, yeah, this is all shit that's already known and we're like 20 years ahead of where this fucking documentary is. And uh, to be I, fair, they do, like, they, there is no like, oh, how does wrestling work out? It's, it's fake, isn't it? There's none of that. They're, they're, like, they're, they're, it is entirely behind the scenes. It is entirely from the premise of people putting together an entertainment product. And like, that's what, like, it's actually pretty good. Before, like, it sounds like a good avert. It's actually a decent little watch, mostly because once you get past the layer of like base level pro wrestling bullshit, third biggest company in America, Al Snow creative genius once you get past that they dig into the fact that OVW is a deeply unsuccessful company (laughs) a company that is losing money hand over fist I think they lost like 180 grand over the like the six months of the documentary was filmed for Ohio Valley Wrestling (laughs) for this dopey local regional wrestling television product they're losing a ton of money and like the fact that they can dig into that in a way that is more honest than if you did an AEW documentary a WWE documentary an Impact documentary where I think they would 
be they have would have to be i think a lot more controlling over their own personal narratives and their brand narratives ovw are in that unique position where like the attention they're going to get from the show and the show going on netflix is worth literally anything to them like they could yeah. humiliate themselves to any extent because this show has gotten like a reasonable amount of attention and that that kind of dynamic i think does open it up more interestingly as a story because they are talking about the failings of ovw and how they're stuck in their way of producing this weekly live tv show when maybe that's not a good way for a company like that to make money and they should be like doing local touring and local like paid shows and there's there's, like, there's a bunch of stuff like that and they 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 veer in on a couple characters hollywood Haley j is like the the star of the documentary and uh i don't think she'll ever be a big wrestling star for reasons that have become pretty clear in the documentary but she certainly gets has a good grasp of wrestling and then Mahabali Shira is actually one of the the other people they focus in on because he has like the interesting story of a guy who came from India trying to make it in America um but like it is like it's a surprisingly decent watch it's a surprising like there's some other bullshit there's some other bullshit like the they, they build to the like the big finale is like the OVW's big event which is like it's our Wrestlemania and it's like again a tiny show in the Davis Arena but it's like <laughs> Al Snow coming out of retirement to wrestle on that show and when Al Snow gets the hot tag in that match they cut to a wide shot of the building where a car alarm is playing as if to suggest the reaction al snow got when he got that hot tag started setting off car alarms in the parking lot stuff like that is sensational i admire it like that that is just absolute nonsense of the highest order but it's good fun and there's a ton of stuff and there's like like that that'll make you say oh fuck off but on the whole like it's following these people's stories over the course of seven episodes over the course of one summer and getting like a deep dive into OVW as a like a failing wrestling property. Al Snow is this like really weird figure who every time he talks about wrestling, he talks like deeply seriously about how like heels and baby faces and heat and how serious and important it is and how stories and stories and stories and he's a stories guy. And then you look at him and it's like, you're the guy who who had the head. <laughs> That's your claim to fame. You and more specifically, more specifically, you're the guy who was in a match where the winner was involved by someone putting a bottle of head and shoulders and attaching it to that mannequin head to pin them. There is such a funny moment in the dock where he is talking about that match and like he is oh, really? talking okay. introspectively about like the own oh, his own moments of his career and he's talking about that match as like a moment that where his career could have gone a different direction. And you might be thinking, oh, it's because you know he did the finish with the head and he was the, the head guy and he got pigeonholed no it's because he lost that match and he talks about i lost to jerry lawler and brian uh, brian christopher who are lower card acts and i shouldn't have been losing to lower card acts in that match i'm like what the fuck are you talking about you're al snow i i can only imagine that's because he would have literally just come off of the run in ecw where he you know like his last match in ecw was the was the cyber slam 98 if i recall with, with shane douglas for the ecw title so i'm guessing there's like i mean there's a lot of him being high on his own supply but there's i'm guessing there's this kind of like idea that he came off of that run and was incredibly hot and thinking that that would like translate over to 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 the WWF, but like that that just nothing about that character is a main event character, even in the 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 lens of late nineties WWF and the bullshit that was going on. That's just it's just not a main event character in any capacity. Also, pretty much nobody from that era of ECW jumped success. Like there's the Dudleys and there's RVD. 
everybody else pretty much flopped to very near. Even people like Raven, who probably shouldn't have completely flopped. Yeah. I guess Rhino. Oh, Rhino had a nice little run. But yeah, like it's a good watch. Even if, like as I said, there will be stuff that'll drive you mad, and like it is made for people who aren't wrestling fans. It's not made for us, you know. Do Do you think that like depending on the success of it and the way that this format, could you see this becoming like a sort of welcome to Wrexham thing? Like they might come back to this next year for season two, and it doesn't have the same seasonal format that you can get with something like the the even like the the Amazon Prime series or the the F one thing. Um, so let me just get this straight, Rock. They've got Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds. And they this have has Al Snow. Snow. All right. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. They also have Danny Basham. That's, that's, wow. a, that's a big guess. What happened to his brother? I don't know. Where's the well, dog? Not on the show? They weren't actually One of the brothers. Bash- I think it's Basham that's on the show. Uh, uh, Danny's on the show. Now that, now that you've said it might be Doug, I actually don't remember now. <laughs> they were the ones that Jim Cornette really liked and everyone else hated, right? Well, like they were like the blandest wrestlers on earth. It wasn't like, the oh, the Bashams are terrible. They're just like literally bland, bald men that you will never remember. <laughs> If I recall, the issue is that he had like this feud that he had going between them, and it was apparently, in Jim Cornette's words, like the hottest thing that they had. And then they were immediately brought up and repackaged as brothers. Uh, And then I think they came back down to OVW at some point, and then Cornette had to try and like figure out a way to to move and maneuver that. Um, But again, it's the fucking Basham brothers. Like, it's. It's also like, quote unquote, the hottest feud they've ever had, which just means they sold like. 350 tickets instead of 300 that month. You know? <laughs> like, like the whole business is popping for OVW. But it's it's not a bad watch. You just have to kind of like put the the glasses on and and kind of siphon out the 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 bullshit that. Well, it's a wrestling fucking documentary because it's going to be there. Yeah, even if like it, it was playing it completely toward us as an audience, there would it's it's still an Al Snow documentary. <laughs> There's still going to be an untold amount of bullshit in there. But it, it is. It's a fun watch. It's it's an enjoyable time. And as I said, because like it's well made. It, it is honest to goodness well made by people who know the format. I get the feeling the next thing that you watched is the complete and utter antithesis and opposite of all the words you just used there. Fucking Renfield. <laughs> when this trailer dropped, I was like, Nick Cage, Dracula, being goofy, all in. You, yeah. you can't go wrong. It's Nick Cage. Just let him ham it up and you get a good movie. And then you watch the movie and like the first few lines are like, well, record scratch. You'd wonder how I got here. And it doesn't seem like they're doing that ironically, which is always a worry. And like, that's kind of the, the, the tone of the dialogue for a lot of it. It's a lot of the, well, that happened. It's a lot of that era of like writing that is unbearable and terrible and no one wants. And then you just watch the rest of the movie and it never commits to being something. Like, it's not schlocky enough, it's not gritty enough, it's not dark enough, it's not gory enough, it's not funny enough, it's not romantic enough. It's all a little bit of that because it's afraid to be weird, which is so weird given what, like, the premise is, which is, like, Nick Cage's dopey Dracula. Like, that should be weird, and it tries to play it way too straight, and, like, I have a lot of time for nearly everybody in this movie. Like, I have a lot of time for Nicholas Holt, I have a lot of time for Ben Schwartz, I have a lot of time for Lickless Cage. I even like Aquafina. I know some people, she's, I think she's an acquired taste for some, uh, but you know what? Right movie, right role, she can be great. And then you watch this movie and it's just nothing. It's just middle of the road, nothing. 
because it's so afraid to commit to being something and failing. And I, I, I hate it. I really hate it. I gave it one star on Letterboxd. I was like, fuck this thing. I even watched it in two sittings because I watched it uh, her Wednesday night. So I watched like the first hour of it, then Dynamite started and I came back to the half, half hour and then got mad twice at this movie. I was, I'm amazed that you came back to finish it. I well, very as we rarely... know, like, Garrett hate-watched four seasons of Succession, <laughs> so 90 minutes of Renfield is a breeze. No, I, you make a point. I have never discovered the concept of, the concept of the sunk cost fallacy. I must drive my way through. <laughs> but uh, like it's the, the, the nicest thing you can say about it is it's 90 minutes. So, like, that, that is the kindest thing about the movie. At least it doesn't waste a lot of your time. But, like... That, that, of the, the 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 most frustrating part is as you watch the movie as you go through it you can see like the threads that could have made a good movie like it goes for this whole thing about codependency which kind of comes out of nowhere at the end of the movie and does not work for a finale and, and like the, there is gore in the movie but none of it is like cool gore it's just like heads explode and in the right context heads exploding is great but here's just, just heads explode I, I never felt less about watching people's heads explode as as often as I did in this movie and by the end of it I was just like deeply 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 upset that they wasted what should have been such I think a layup for what this movie was supposed to be it was just so pointless wasn't it like nothing interesting really happens just a bunch of ideas just randomly crashed together it could have been so much cooler and it just wasn't because the like Nick Cage as, as, as Dracula scenes where he's like super gothic and scary and stuff like, he's really going for it, and the character is cool, but they give him nothing interesting to do. They don't give anyone anything interesting in this movie. Why does Aquafina like him as well, after finding out what a fucking horrible, disgusting prick he is, by the way, Garrett? I could never figure that out. It's like, yeah. this guy's, like, spent all of his life dragging people to their deaths to feed a vampire, and, and you fancy him because what? Movies? I don't know. Anyway, stupid. I, I do appreciate that Ben Schwartz basically just plays Jean Ralphio in this, and I am kind of upset we never got a full, uh, a full major motion flick with Jean Ralphio. Peacock show. Give Jean Ralphio his own peacock show. Works for me. I've got no issue with that. But like, yeah, what would he, he do? What would you do as the plot for that, though? I think it's it's like an anthology show where he shows up in a different town every week and tries to run some kind of scam that blows up in his face. Yeah, just just going through a series of failed business uh, concepts. Yeah, I will work with that. Like there, there's a movie like a long time ago, like Warm Bodies, which is like a Nicholas Nicholas Holt rom com, which I think so much better. Yeah, they're trying to draw a little bit of that energy with like his relationship in this movie, and it's just undercooked and underdeveloped, and it doesn't. As I said, it doesn't commit to anything. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. Just yeah. Do you know what it feels like, Garrett? It feels like a bunch of sketches stitched together, mm. so that's why I think you don't like it. That's true. Do you think part of the issue as well, because this was like meant to be part of that whole Dark Universe thing, like in its very original uh, conception. Yeah. And then when that all got blown up in smoke, because I don't know what the, the production of this thing is. I don't know if it changed hands much times. $65 million dollars this budget was for this movie. <laughs> Jeez. Think about that movie and think about what they spent $65 million on and realise that it's purely the cast and nothing yeah. else. And by the way, it made $26 million at the box office. That, that's not surprising. That's tough. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's yeah. that's real bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, every, every single aspect of this dark universe, whether it's 
was it official or tangentially related has just been a fucking disaster. The Robert fucking Kirkman wrote it as well. The Walking Dead guy. Like, this really should have been the recipe for a really good movie. And it really just failed on a number of levels. I think it's going to be one of those things that people kind of talk about in 10 years time as one of the like great failures. I will say the the Invisible Man movie of that Dark Pictures trilogy, the one they ended up making, that movie rocks. That movie is so good. Uh, I prefer that by its original name, Hollow Man. Thank you very much. <laughs> like, that's one of the ones where they, they did... Uh, I thought it would be for Hollow Knight as opposed to Hollow Man, but... No, 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 no. But, like, that's one of those where, like, it's like, all right, this universe has fallen apart, but we're still making an Invisible Man movie. Let's make a good one. And they did. It's really good. Dark Universe. We barely knew the... Jack, let's jump over to you. What you got this week? Yep, so two shows I've been watching over the last kind of few weeks on Disney Plus both ended. Uh, Only Murders in the Building and Ahsoka. And probably, I guess, mixed emotions on one of them and the other one I just thought was great. Uh, the one I thought was great is Only Murders in the Building. Oh, so Garrett. good. This is like, easily the best season, I think, especially the way it ramped up. To, like, the, there is some absolutely killer episodes toward the back half of the season. It was so good. <laughs> just so good everybody on this show looks like they're having the best time as well and it really comes across in the performances like you can just see people's energy in the show just genuinely positive and it's such a then you feel like even when they deal with like a quite dark stuff on the show it just feels like a warm hug watching this Mm. doesn't it you just feel like you're sitting around with your pals talking about murders and stuff um yeah and i just i mean obviously the the season elevated massively by meryl streep and look i'm not even a, a musicals guy but like the, the the plot of the whole series is that um mine she uh, mine short sorry his character is developing a musical and you see the performances of the musical in the last episode and honestly, it is fucking triumphant because you've been hearing like little snippets and bits and pieces of all the songs. But my God, like, is there anything Meryl Streep can't do? I just I don't think that there is. I think she just is like universally one of the greatest people to ever be an entertainer. She's unbelievably great in this. Um, it's one of those Paul things Rudd where was- it's like if you are making a show like this that has a musical like this, actually shoot a performance of this musical because I want to watch it. <laughs> Yeah, because like the, as you said, the last episode does kind of give you like the 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 bones of the musical, but I I want the full thing. I want a full production of this musical. I think if they did it, like if say if they did like a week or two of this on Broadway just to sort of test the waters, I think it would do very very well. You you, you know like you'd need to flesh the plot out a little bit more because I mean at the end of the day like. I suppose right until the end, they don't give you the reveal of like who the who the murderer is in the in the musical, um, but they could maybe do something interesting with that and kind of twist it, twist and turn it around. Um, but it was a great series, you know. It genuinely, I feel like they play out the whodunits better than some actual very serious po-faced murder mystery type things. They genuinely keep you guessing. They do a good job kind of slowly drip feeding you information and trying to convince you that it's this person. And they spend so much time trying to convince you that you sort of get unconvinced and then become all the all the way around convinced again when they, they you know, they often end it on like something really clever that kind of feeds into the next episode. And yeah, the cast are absolutely, 
absolutely delightful um and just watch this if you know if you enjoy comedy or if you enjoy murder mysteries because uh yeah the combo in this is it's just perfect and it's one of those shows where i was watching it like the second like the the, the mornings that it was dropping as well towards the end because i just yeah i couldn't i couldn't bear not to not to have seen it because yeah absolutely class um the second one is Ahsoka. Have either of you watched any of Ahsoka? No. I haven't watched, I think, outside of the first series of Mandalorian, I haven't watched a single second of Star Wars-related content since. Mm. So Ahsoka, I thought, had its moments. Like, I thought, in, in part, it was it was pretty interesting. They have introduced the sort of live-action world to Grand Admiral Thrawn. He was... A character from um, like Rebels and Clone Wars, who is a bad guy. Now wait for this in Star Wars, who's actually pretty tactically intelligent. Um, you know how the cliched bad guy do it, being so bad that they they take their eye off the ball. Uh, kind of, kind of uh, uh, trope in pretty much everything ever, so that the good guys win. The, the great thing I think about Admiral Thrawn is that he only is defeated if you are at your very kind of best as always kind of one step ahead of the curve and they did such a great job introducing him into the star wars canon it was very very good we got live action um ezra bridger as well which again is for anybody that kind of watched those animated shows is it's kind of a real you know buzz i just wonder that not many people watch clones and rebels and they're both on disney plus and they've basically given this show to dave filoni who who created those shows who was kind of george lucas's apprentice for a few years and said hey you know you you basically have free license to go and play with the characters that you kind of came up with and and wrote and i think aside from people who are really really into those shows or who understand star wars i wonder if you come into this as a person who is completely unaware of the significance of any of the characters if you think this show is any good or not. Like, so for instance, Mark, you have no idea about any of the characters I would assume I've mentioned. No. I would like you as an experiment, like I, I don't think you'll do it, or, or even Garrett maybe, um, to just watch this show and just see what you think and see if you think it's any good. Because for me, I was kind of popping based on the characters that they were introducing and the moments that they were kind of guiding the characters towards. And that made me really, you know, excited. It's like a fan servicey type thing. And, you know, I was really enjoying it, but I just don't know if this show has the depth away from that kind of real fandom and lore uh, for somebody who's completely new to all these characters to really enjoy it. Because we've only seen Ahsoka kind of very briefly in um, Mandalorian and the Boba Fett show as well. So people were kind of familiar with her, but all of the other characters in the show, if you didn't see the cartoons, which a lot, you know, straight away, if you make a Star Wars thing and you make it animated, I think a lot of people just assume that it's kind of for kids and don't watch it. You know, like a lot of the sort of casual Star Wars fans who just liked the movies because they were, you know, saw them when they were kids. You know, it expands across three generations now, Star Wars fandom, doesn't it? Because of like the time and the placement of when those movies came out. But yeah, my... My question, I guess, would be, like, if anyone's listening, has anybody watched Ahsoka who didn't really know about these characters and whether they enjoyed it or not? Because it felt like, were it not for the excitement of those characters, a big sort of 7 out of 10 for me. 
So yeah, I'm genuinely curious to, to to know what people think. But if you do know those shows, Clone Wars uh, and Rebels, you will absolutely love this because it is like a, a live action realization of uh, everything that you've kind of experienced in those shows. And I'm interested to see where the story goes, but it's just yeah, I'm, I'm I don't know if it has the depth to be like a real kind of breakout thing. Like you're not hearing people talk about it at all. Um, in 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 the way that they've kind of spoken about Andor, for instance, which is like a genuine triumph, and you actually, if you divorced it from Star Wars and you just made it this thing, it would still be a great show. Um, whereas I don't think you could say that for Ahsoka. But hey, while we're in Disney Plus corner, very briefly, first episode of Loki, very good. It's so Doctor yes. Who. It's so Doctor Who, and I love it. We're doing season two here, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, and Tom Hiddleston was going fucking full pelt, wasn't he, in that first episode of Loki as well. There's a, there's like a moment where he's in like a boardroom full of people and he's doing a full big shouty Tom Hiddleston like, this is the man! Who is... <laughs> Just like, I was like, wow, this is pretty intense because again, I think I watched it at like 8, 8.30 in the morning <laughs> uh, while I was just, just about to start work. Uh, but yeah. Great. Not- I think... Uh, I- I might not be 100%, but I have a feeling that the last episode of Loki... No, because I guess I would have watched um, the the last <laughs> Doctor Strange film, but there's very little that I've watched between the last episode of, of the first season of Loki and, like, because we'll probably watch this new season, because, like, Loki is probably one of the few things that they've done in the last few years that I did enjoy um, but I'm, I'm so out of the loop. Did you low-key enjoy it, Mark? I, no, no, I high-key enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Oh. Okay, <laughs> that maybe thought that was maybe why why you were pronouncing it that way. But no, yeah. no, 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 no. It's just my no. pronunciation. Just a great show. Um. So for me, I've decided that you know I know that all you fuckers like do your thing over Halloween where you, you decide to watch a bunch of spooky, gory horror films. Um. And and I can't. By all you wh- fuckers, you mean Dave? <laughs> no, I I. I sp- you know, expand that out to, to the universe. I, I know a bunch of people uh, who do the a similar WWE thing. The WWE universe? No, no, the Link to the Cast universe. <laughs> um, and so I've decided I'm going to do something similar, but instead of going down the, the like, horror route, I'm going to go down the, you know, gothic, but more uh, PG, family-friendly uh, uh, journey. And I've decided that I started with uh, 1991's The Addams Family, um, mm. directed by Barry Sonnenfeld, who, I didn't realise this, but actually went on to uh, direct films like Men in Black, Get Shorty, and <laughs> Wild Wild West. Um, I didn't realise they were both uh, done by the same person, but uh, I guess I'll have to go watch those again at some point and see the similarities or not. And I didn't realise this until I started watching it, but I'm pretty sure that Adam's Family is possibly like my earliest memory of watching films um because i would have been about you know three or four years old when this thing would have come out on vhs or would have been on you know uh television and i i have a really kind of distinct memory of 
just the way that this film looks, because the one thing I'll say off the bat is that, you know, visually this film still holds up incredibly well. And, you know, we've had the discussions before about practical effects and the way films were done before the, I guess, kind of like post Jurassic Park world of, of um, kind of leaning more into that kind of thing. And, you know, like we watched fucking Enchanted the other night, which is a pretty good film, but the entire like final sequence of that with the dragon looks utterly atrocious and uh, like does such a disservice to that film and then you watch something like The Addams Family and it does have like some stuff uh, like the way that they shoot the thing um, there are times where you can clearly see that they've sort of rotoscoped around it and then kind of in, uh, insert it into the shot and sometimes it looks okay and then there's a couple of times it gets like there's a couple of sequences where you're just like alright there's obviously like digital work that's happened here but for the most part just the way that this film looks uh and, and like the way that it's shot inside this gothic mansion and the pro it's like it's like being in like a not a scare house but going into those sorts of like gothic like environments where it's kind of set up uh like a like a kind of theme park ride it just it looks incredible and the big thing about this film for me is that my kind of knowledge of Raul Julia is is who plays Gomez Adams is limited to both this and Street Fighter, which would become his like final role as, as M. Bison. And he has such a kind of charisma and 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 just energy to him. And I know and you know, everything that I've ever read about him when I was reading up about like him and why he did M. Bison and his performance is that and his performance in this as well, is that like he's one of these kind of really acclaimed actors that just didn't make it big until like the latter part of his career. But I know I know nothing I've n I don't I don't think I've ever seen anything that he did prior to this. And like I don't know, because I'd say Jack, you're probably the kind of person that would like lean more into this. Like have you ever seen anything Hi. else that he was in? Um, I don't believe so. It made me chuckle when you said Street Fighter because I feel like you, uh, I feel like you bring up that movie like that as genuine favorite for you, like deep down. <laughs> um, and it's, no, I can't say I have seen him in anything other than this before. And it's just it's so surprising that it took him this long. And you know, I'd have to go and watch some of his earlier stuff. But like the moment he hits the screen, he just he pops. Um, with such a just such an energy and charisma to him and he like you know everyone performs re really well in this film and it's it's one of those films that and I was reading about it and like there was a lot of issues in terms of the production things got delayed the the script was changing quite a bit and it definitely shows with the film because it is quite a patchy film and it, it, it it's not entirely like style over substance because there is a, a coherent plot that goes throughout and there are like you know themes that it explores but it's definitely more that like hey here's just this kind of goofy wacky family and here are some kind of funny set pieces involving like the way that this family dynamic works but the thing that really holds it together is the fact that like the performances across the board again Raul Julia is just incredible uh, Christopher Lloyd as Festa it's one of those kind of it feels like a role that he was born to play like he just fits into that role and you know because obviously because of the prosthetics and the makeup you can kind of tell it's him but he's able to sort of just kind of get into that role and just you know he has such tremendous facial expressions um and it's just yeah it's a film that like you watch it and you're like this probably this isn't really at the heart of it like a particularly great film but it's such a just a great looking film and it has such great performances that that kind of can carry the whole thing through um, and I need to at some point watch the sequel from 93 
um, that's that's probably next on my list. But yeah, there's, there's a rewatch of something that I haven't seen since God knows when. Um, it was nice to kind of go back to it and just just see like just Raul Julia and and like this this kind of rendition of Gomez Adams. It's such a it's such a fabulous performance. Um, and yeah, it's it's not the best film, but it's it's an easy watch. So um, yeah, I'll have that next. I was thinking about what else I want to watch. I think I want to watch Casper the Friendly Ghost. I was going to say when film. you were like, I don't want to watch scaries. I want to watch family friendly spooks. I was like, Casper, I, Casper's right I, up there. I watched Casper, I swear to God, like every fucking week for about a year straight, but I haven't seen it in at least 20 odd years. So that's going to be really fucking weird to go back to. Um, Dude, Raul Julia was like a really accomplished theatre actor, by the way. Like he and did. I think that's what it is. I think that's what shows in him yeah. in this. Like Shakespeare and and musicals, it looks like he's done. Um, yeah, like just I've I've not seen a lot of a lot of what he's done a lot of what he has done. Otherwise, just looking through to see if there was anything that popped me. But yeah, his first ever role acting ever was was a performance of Tyus Andronicus at the Telecourt Theatre in New York. So. Coming from pretty amazing stock, really, when you think about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Bit but tra- I think. But Tragic I, lost that one. There was. And I think but that's the thing. Like, that kind of like theatrical uh, ability of him, it really comes through in this. And <laughs> it comes through in M. Bison as well, if you ever fucking watch that back. Like, there's just a, a grandiosity and a, a chewing of scenery, but done in a way that, like, isn't fucking self indulgent. It's, it's a very thin line to, to kind of straddle, but. Uh, he he had a way of doing it, so uh, God bless him. He also played Dracula on stage as well. I'm just seeing now. I can yeah. see that. I can definitely see that. Yeah, I think I think something like Adam's Family kind of lends towards the the sort of bigger performance, like you just described. So yeah, I haven't watched it in many years, but I do remember liking those movies, like the fuss he would make over his wife in it and stuff. I always remember finding really I amazing. Mean, like, I like, I could only fucking wish to to be married to someone and then have that kind of love like that. I'd kill for her. I'd die for her. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it is quite Shakespearean. The more you think about it, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I need to watch Adam's Family Values at some point as well because I'm I'm fairly fairly certain. Like one of my first kind of big crushes I had uh, as a child was uh, Joan Cusack in in that. So that's um, yeah, that's probably next on the list. But definitely, yeah, Garrett, I, I had Casper in mind as well. So um, this will be me for the month of October. Joan and John, absolute powerhouse brother sister combo, right? Damn straight, um, damn straight. So uh, before we move on to games, just to cut in, randomly last week, I, you know, I, I think I popped you, Mark, by by getting my, or saying what my dad's opinion was on Elon Musk. And then for some reason, you decided to ask me what he thought of Joe Biden. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. So I asked my dad, I was like, what do you think of Biden? And then he thought originally... I didn't know who Joe Biden was. So he said he's the president of America and his middle name is Robinette. And I'm like, yeah, okay, thanks for the Robinette touch, but I didn't know that. And I was like, so what is your actual opinion of him? And he took a beat and he went, oh, I actually think anything of him. He don't think about me and I don't think about him and we just go about our business. And that was the end of the conversation. So there you go. <laughs> that, that is this week in what does my dad think about this subject feel uh, free to feel free to get me to ask him something else next week ah uh, thank you Garrett it'll be your turn next for that <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, in many ways, it's the perfect answer because that does sum Joe Biden up quite nicely. I hope he says that just about everybody. <laughs> yeah. So he's never thought of me. About. I never think of him. Yeah. Life moves on. We both, we both go about our business. <laughs> what business, you, if, what if business we all are you like going that, about? If we all fall like that, the world would be a better place, huh? Yeah, but he does irrationally dislike certain people, though, like Andy Townsend uh, or, or, or like Ashley Young, mostly footballers. But um, yeah, no, I, I can get those two. Uh, certainly, Ashley Young, like I can, I can ident- identify with that. <laughs> yeah, but it would just, I don't know, or like if some, like there's an actor that annoys him or something, it would just, yeah, it would get really mad at some person because uh, like they minorly irritated him one time or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's just that I just, I was just pissing myself. I, I was thinking like. This guy always comes out. He's always got something to say. Like he's always speaking. Just like asking for an opinion on that, and he just no, yeah, nothing. There you go. Ah, thank you for that, Jack. Very much appreciated. Let's jump over to games. And first of all, Garrett, I want to jump over to you because I, over the last couple of weeks, have spoke about Lies of P and uh, I'm excited to get another opinion on this game. Um, and I know that you, I believe you've finished it now and I, I believe that you're fairly high on it. So I want to kind of get you to talk about it for a bit. So I've conquered the Pinocchio Souls and I am extremely torn because it is very derivative of Bloodborne. That is a simple fact. When they're introducing mechanics to you, they might as well put a little asterisk on the screen with a, an indicator. It's like this bit in Bloodborne. But it might be my game of the year. <laughs> so that's that's my current inner turmoil, that there is no game that I more like. It's the classic like, oh, I thought about it when I wasn't playing. I wanted to play it while I wasn't playing. And now that I finish it, I'm like a bit sad there's not more of it. Like that's that's where I am with Liza P and that's the sign of a very good game. And like it is it is doing everything Bloodborne does. It feels really good. The combat is really good. It does add some stuff of its own. Like the the arm system is a replacement for Bloodborne's gun. And I think it is more interesting and more robust that you can have all these different arms that have different skills that have their own little upgrade trees. Uh, so that you can have cool powers and abilities tied to your arm. And like the the weapon system, the way you can like deconstruct and build your weapons differently so that they have some sort of skills and attributes of different weapons and the the stat building of different weapons that has a bunch of stuff like that that is really cool and different it also has probably the best feature they added which is while you're getting souls your souls turn a kind of light blue in the top corner of the screen when you have enough for a level up which is a thing none of the souls games did and it's brilliant and it's like the smallest quality of life touch and it makes such a difference when you're exploring the world it's like i know because you're like usually you're like, i need 14,435 for a level up but you don't know that number in your head so often when you're playing like Bloodborne you get to like 14,300 you go back to level up and you're like well I fucking still need to kill another two things whereas this game it has a nice little indicator turns blue you can level up and like so it has a bunch of stuff it's not just Bloodborne but a lot of it is just Bloodborne but the thing I like weirdly connected with was like the Pinocchio side of it (laughs) Because it's like, it really does realize like a, a dark gothic Pinocchio world really well. The way all of the puppets are like house appliance puppets. Like the first ones you come across because you're in a train station. There are a bunch of train conductor puppets around just with stop and go signs as their weapons. Because like those puppets before they turned evil have a, like a practical use in that world. They're in that world, in that train station because they're conductor puppets. It's the reason a lot of the ones you come across are like maids and house servants and stuff like that. That, that like all the the the, prop, the puppets served menial roles in the world before they gained sentience and tried to kill everybody for reasons that will be gone into in the plot and 
like the, the, okay, I want you to explain what the fuck those opera spider fucks are about. <laughs> oh, then. I don't know. I don't know why they built opera spiders. Well, there, there is a, a whole thing as the plot goes on that some of the puppets are being corrupted by like, because there, there's two kinds of enemies. There's like uh, humans that have gotten the petrification disease and then become like monsters. And then there's... It's very kind of Last of Us slash... Um, uh, what is the other game that... No, I, I think it is. They're, they're very kind of Last of Us in their, their approach and their design and the way they sort of like run towards you. Yeah, and then there are uh, puppets, like uh, mechanical puppets who have uh, gained sentience and revolted against the humans. And there's some stuff where it's like the, the, the evil monsters have overtaken some of the puppets. And I believe that's what's led to the uh evil spider opera lady because i think it's just okay i think the opera lady part is just like it's a singing puppet made for entertainment purposes and then the uh, monsters have just overtaken it and turned it into a spider opera lady right right sure why not why the fuck i mean the, the character design like the enemy design across the board is is real because like it starts off, you know, it has the puppets and it has that kind of mechanical feel to them. And they're all pretty good, but they're all sort of slow and jerky. And like, you're like, oh, I'm not sure how this would work across the entire game. But then it, it goes, you know, pretty fucking. Honestly, some of the designs at some point rem- were reminding me of like House of the Dead in terms of the, the kind of like schlocky uh, kind of campy horror kind of nature of them. Um, but there's a real kind of f- blending going between the the puppeteer side of it and then the kind of more monster side of it and uh, they yeah i think across the board like the character design is really really interesting yeah and as silly as the idea of what if we did bloodborne but pinocchio is it's like all the pinocchio stuff I think it, it really does create a fully crafted world. Like the world of Krat is this cool like place that was on the verge of like scientific discovery. And you have all these uh, like the, the Krat Expo and all that stuff. That's like, look at this brilliant scientific world until like the, both the science went too far on the, the like mechanical side and the human side, causing the rapid decline of this place. Like one of, one of my problems with some of the Souls games is that they never feel in a way like a world that ever existed before. Like they do in the terms of like there is lots of lore, but when you like get there, it's like I can't actually imagine this as a place where people existed before shit went down. <laughs> Whereas mm. I play this game and I can picture this as a world where like that existed before it all began to go to shit. And I think like that's uh, to its biggest credit that uh, the silliest part of it in theory, like the Pinocchio of it all, is actually like one of the more compelling aspects in terms of they create a cool and interesting world and like the combat is just bloodborne it is like it's beat for beat bloodborne it feels really really good all the combat animations look fantastic all the boss designs look incredible there there are a few too many two-phase bosses for my taste through the game i think there are like five or six i think there should only be one or two but for the well i think they've nuked all of them in terms of their difficulty (laughs) because uh i went from doing the first one which took me a fair few attempts to doing the king of puppets yesterday and i did it on the first attempt and i didn't even fucking blink an eye for the first phase of it so they've absolutely wrecked that fucking thing it was very funny i was on the king of puppets and i i like brick wall for me for like an hour 
And then I left it down. I picked it up the next day and I beat it in one go. And I was like, geez, that, that, that went so much better. It's like, I, I, I just needed that night's sleep. And then I saw patch notes, King of Puppets. And I was like, well, fuck you. How dare you take my achievement away from me with your patch notes? But uh, yeah, they did uh, make some of them easier. Like, because my, my take, I, I'm not sure. I think I said it in the group chat that I think it was, it's easier than Bloodborne. And it turns out I, it's really not. It's it, and, and they made it easier. So it might be better now. But like some of the bosses, are as hard if not a little bit harder than some of the bosses in, in a an average souls game but uh, like i haven't clicked with a lot of the fake souls games like i tried with neo i tried with was it wulong fallen dynasty that was the other one this year yeah that was this year yeah and like a lot even like demon souls I'm, I've, I've never even been a dark souls guy i love elden ring i love bloodborne like dark souls eh, kid take or leave but this one really clicked with me i thought it was a really cool interesting world and it like it great combat and great music and there's a bunch of records you find that you bring back to your like your your hub space your hotel and you just play them it's like oh that, that's just a great song they're just great songs in this game <laughs> where, where'd they get all this stuff I think the biggest thing for me about this game is I appreciated being able to play one of these types of games and I could read the description of an item and I actually know what the fuck that thing does. It is Big fan of that. It is a lot less dense and deliberately misleading <laughs> than, than the Souls games are. It is a lot clearer. And I think even narratively, it's a lot clearer. Like the story is a lot clearer. It's a lot better laid out. The side quests, yeah. they, are, they are smaller in scope, but I think they are also a lot, because pretty much every character you've got across that comes back to your hub world has a meaningful side quest some are better than others but uh, they all like pay off and intertwine in a way that again fleshes out the world it fleshes out those people and i accidentally killed one of them sorry <laughs> by, by making a choice and she, then i went to another place and there she was just lying there dead it's like oh no if i made a different choice you wouldn't have lied there dead because there is like a lying system built into the game that i think only influences the ending for the most part uh, and also like the, the outcome of I suppose individual side quests but it doesn't like change you know your stats or anything I don't think I think it's just a narrative device that you can choose to lie or tell the truth in the certain scenarios um, it's really good I think it's really 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 good I think it's shockingly good and as I said when I finished it I was like I'm a bit sad that it's over and that, that's a great sign and there's, there's also a tease of what they're going to do next Did you, do you mind if I spoil it Mark? <laughs> Uh, no, go for it. There's a, a post credit scene where they introduce Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz as the what? as the potential next, whether it's DLC or whether it's um the next the sequel. That that uh, they look, uh, they can fucking if they want to go down that route and do Wizard of Oz in this style, I'm fucking I'm I'm here for it all day. All Let's of, do it. All of her power should come from her red shoes. Like, That'd be amazing. The literal tease. They mention her name and then they cut to a shot of the city as you just literally see the red shoes as she's staring at the horizon. It's like yeah, what a oh, Holy what shit. a post-credits tease. Uh, I will play Lies of D every day of the week. I mean, look, if you've got, like, all of these IPs that are now, like, you know, public domain, fuck it. Just just go hog wild. Let's do this. Yeah, so Lies of P. Oh, man. Uh, it's, it's probably my game of the year. As we stand, it is probably my game of the year. For as, like, for as much as, like, the core design is Bloodborne, it does enough on top of that, and Bloodborne is also one of my favorite games of all time. So if you're just doing I Bloodborne, thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you, you got one other thing on here. Yeah, I played Gunbrella a couple of weeks ago at this stage now. It's like on the, on the surface, you're like very straightforward, cool game. 
you're a guy who has a gun and an umbrella <laughs> and you go around shooting things but like the way it plays out it's there's weirdly not a lot of action in a game called Gumbrella because like the game is split almost 50-50 that you go through like little sections where you're shooting enemies and using the umbrella for platforming and oh, those bits are cool and they the controls are really tight and I think that's lots of fun and then there are also parts where you're just wandering around exploring but not like in a way that is particularly compelling or a way that's particularly interesting or a way that is uh, good <laughs> it's like they, they have a cool world and there's some interesting ideas about cults and the idea that even when a cult gives you everything you could possibly want the things it gives you are basically unsustainable for the health of the world and like that th those there's fun ideas of that in there but it's like a 7 out of 10 game in the end it was a little disappointing based on like the first couple of minutes when I was like oh the, the, the controls in this play feel really really good and then I spent remarkably little time actually shooting and or platforming you just wander around little city yeah. spaces. I've played it for, um, I'd say, a little less than an hour. And I find that the kind of, like, level design, and both in terms of the way that it's constructed, but also just the way it looks, is fairly uninteresting. And as you kind of say there, like, those bits where it sort of slows down, there's nothing particularly interesting to do. And, and, you know, the actual kind of Gumbrella mechanic and that, that's all good. And it's just, it's kind of weird that I, I don't know whether it's a case of like, it was a way to sort of elongate the game and give you um, these moments where it breaks up the pacing. But those moments, those kind of slower moments, there's just nothing really going on. There's nothing to look at. Like the, the art style isn't like, it's perfectly fine it's perfectly serviceable but just the way that the environment looks the way the buildings look and the way they're constructed like there's a lot of times where i was not too sure about like where the foreground was and what the background was and like if i could actually go through here to get into a building and i just i didn't like the way that i actually had to get around the environment and i don't know I've, i'm not feeling overly compelled to go back to it yeah and as you said all you're doing in those environments is like walking to character a talking to them walking to character b talking to them to like advance a little side quest or get like a piece of knowledge to get in a door or get a key or something thing and then you play a yeah. little cool little action segment where you're shooting some rats in a sewer or something and like oh it's, it's, it's fun that feels pretty good and then you go back to walking between characters As a, if the game was like 80 20 leaning toward action versus like little bits of world building and little bits of story i'd be like okay that's it's a, but it's like 50 50 and the, the 50 half that is just wandering around doing world building isn't particularly compelling so a bit of a disappointment yeah. based on like uh, how good i think the core mechanics of the game feel and also just like the original trailer, like I, I think we were both like Gunbrella. Well, that's that name alone. We've got to fucking play something like that. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, well, never mind. Jack, you are our, our resident Assassin's Creed expert. Please tell us about the latest in this long running series. I are Assassin. Yes. Um, so Assassin's Creed Mirage. So it's kind of like I think they've decided to be a bit more back to basics uh, in the approach because the last game Assassin's Creed Valhalla was absolutely intimidatingly massive I think you're still playing that game the last time I checked <laughs> I put 150 Whoa. hours into that game like I cleared out all of the main quests and I did some of the side quests and I was really toying with like getting the platinum trophy and then it just is not it just doesn't feel kind of worth it to go really really ham on it um, because 
it gets a bit grindy, basically, um, when you're doing a lot of the side quests. Whereas Assassin's Creed Mirage is all set kind of within Baghdad, um, much smaller map, which I think really kind of benefits the game because like one of the first early things I love to do in any Assassin's Creed game is like, you know, go to the different points and kind of open up the map and look through the world. But all of the city kind of feels very alive. There's lots of alleys and like houses that you can just run through and the houses feel lived in and the streets kind of feel like they're actually occupied you know a lot of assassin's creed games you know you might be on a horse you know running from one point to another point if you don't want to fast travel you might encounter a couple of enemies or or an animal or two but largely it's a big open environment with not a lot going on whereas i what i think is very cool about the early stages of assassin's creed mirages i've played is that it does feel like a, a sort of hustling bustling world to explore so the main character is bashim who is a character funnily enough in Valhalla um and there was a very strange convoluted plot line where your main character was actually a descendant of Odin's spirit um and Bashim was like a descendant of Loki's spirit and then when he realized he was your power and then he turned on you and then you had a big old fight and then you know how all the Assassin's Creed games just like it's actually just somebody in a machine experiencing the the thing and i have literally no idea about the lore of assassin's creed and i have played most of them so that tells you an awful lot but anyway this is uh bashim from his original kind of point in time um where he is like a street uh, street tough thief um in the streets of baghdad um so you're kind of following him when he's he's younger than when you met him in valhalla so it's sort of like a prequel to valhalla but also not because it's just an assassin's creed game and you know what it it it's fun it feels it has a little bit of the old school assassin's creed about it but with a lot of this sort of more upgraded you know graphics and 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 systems that the the more modern assassin's creed games have um the skill tree and stuff on there is super basic which i really appreciate because it's very easy to say what skills you kind of want to build out earlier um to to play the game it massively benefits playing the game with stealth um you know that dare i say it they feel like a few things that they've kind of slightly robbed from hitman i.e finding ways to sort of disguise yourself or you know blag your way into certain situations you know like not saying that they go for hitman where there's like a you know opportunity that pops up or whatever but it does kind of like push you down those roads sometimes if you need to get into somewhere and if you are you know kind of trying to clear out a base the one thing that maybe I'm not enjoying as much is say the combat in this game because it feels like you have to get the time in right a lot more and it's not as you know just you know press buttons and try and hammer things to to death uh and the weapon upgrades or whatever they they do feel um like they they do kind of feel not I'm not gonna say pointless but there is definitely like benefits to it but if you have like which you do right from the very start of the game a hidden blade where you can just sneak up behind somebody and then one shot them why would you ever try and just fight someone in open combat you're always going to take the easy option to to try and take someone out um and i think what's cool with that is they know that so there's like different abilities that you can unlock around them one of my favorite things um for taking out and clearing people out ever 
it is the Fortin system from Metal Gear Solid 5, where if you basically took out a soldier, you could essentially attack, attach them to a balloon and then they would get catapulted into the sky and taken back to your home base. Um, this game has one of the coolest things I've seen since that, which is if you kill somebody, if you unlock the thing in your like skill tree, they instantly dissolve. Now, is this reality of uh, 9th century Baghdad where you could murder someone and have them dissolve? No, but I do think it is a cool thing that um, makes, you know, the whole rigmarole of hiding bodies and kind of, you know, somebody seeing that and being on alert. It's, it's a pretty cool... Like, are, um, you, are you pouring acid on them or what, what the fuck? <laughs> no, you kill them and they dissolve, mate. That's, that's how it they is. They just disappear that's, into that's the Matrix? They, they literally dissolve. You see them dissolve in real time. I, play, I played um, this up it- until the title card, basically, which is like the install. I played it for like half an hour. Uh, the, uh, the great appeal being that it is apparently 10 to 15 hours. <laughs> I'm like, that is tremendous. Yeah. Thumbs up. Yeah, and I, what I like about the way the missions pop up as well, again, I suppose it's not too dissimilar from other Assassin's, more modern Assassin's Creed, but it doesn't feel like you have to go in a certain order on the critical path. It's like there's a few different things you can do and go and do them and it doesn't feel as kind of weighted down with collectibles as the other ones as well and map points like that some of the previous games um and yeah i've, I've heard you can clear out the main story in, in 10 15 hours but in your half an hour play garrett did you form any opinions on it or did you just think oh this is okay not really there's too much like story stuff at the start that you're only like you know free running intro to stealth and then um, you're, yeah. I do like that the, right after the credits you go to the bottom whatever that training base is and they're like you have not committed to the, the leap of faith thing you have to learn how to commit to the leap of faith you have, you have to yeah. do that somersault you can't just fall you have to do the somersault you do realise how many massive bales of hay there are in, in all cities in Assassin's Creed games though Garrett don't you so when you're doing that, that big leap and landing in a big bale of hay that's, that's how it rolls basically mm. um, but yeah I think the climbing and stuff is cool as well like sort of inching your way up buildings and you know it does, it does go, kind of go back to the core of what was cool about Assassin's Creed before maybe like you know the sort of environments previous where you're doing this game might have felt a little bit cooler though actually nowhere near as deeply developed and part of you just thinks if that they were going to do this in this style they may as well have just remade those kind of like renaissance era assassin's creed games um and sort of just given a modern take on on that sort of like da vinci kind of vibes in some of those early games but hey uh this is still I'm really enjoying it, and uh, yeah, I, if it is that sort of 20, 30 hour experience, I'm more than happy with that, um, because I also bought Detective Pikachu game that I haven't touched, and I know Spider-Man is going out very soon as well, and apparently I also need to play something that I think Mark is probably going to talk about uh, on this here show as well, because uh, I can see it on his Heath. So yeah, I'm going to segue over into Mark and that particular game and say, Mark, should I play Cocoon? Yeah, I really think you should play Cocoon. Now, I, I mentioned this in the group chat. I have been burned before on this podcast when I've hyped up a 3D puzzle adventure game, but um, I get the f- I I feel that this one will translate better than the last time I spoke about <laughs> Tunic, uh, and I think that Cocoon will. Oh no! Why did you compare it to Tunic? <laughs> no, I'm Worst not. I'm game. not comparing Take it to it Tunic. Take it down. 
I'm not comparing it to Tunic, but what I'm trying to say is that this is a 3D puzzle adventure game uh, that is made by ex-devs that did uh, Inside and Limbo, which I wasn't like the biggest fan of those games, but I do really appreciate that they had, and I kind of have this in general, and Cocoon really kind of leans into this. When you do less is more, and you really like showcase all of the things that you can do, but with like very minimal mechanics and a very minimalist approach. Um, I, I really think that there's like an elegance to that sort of style of game design. And with Cocoon, like you can move your, your little character about and you press A and that does everything. Everything that is possible to do in this game is with those two buttons. And there, there's no dialogue, there's no narrative. Everything is just is showcased through the, the in-game mechanics. And not to say that that's how all games should be done, but when you can do it that way and you can do it as, as elegant as the way that Cocoon does it, um, I have a real appreciation for it. Um, so I can't remember exactly what I spoke about last week, but the idea with this game is that you start off and you're in this world and you're going around and you're uh, moving platforms to get from point A to point B. And then at some point you hit on this pad and you come straight out of it. And now the world that you're in takes the form of this glowing orange orb that you can then pick up and you can take around with you. Uh, and around the world that you're in, uh, there are like kind of pressure points that you can put the orb on that then unlocks whatever thing that helps you to get from that point A to the next point B. And so you're thinking, all right, that's a really cool little mechanic. And the idea of like switching from this world to this world and the kind of instantaneous nature of that, like there's no kind of loading to it. It's like immediate. It feels really satisfying. It looks really good. It's like, cool. That's a really neat idea. And, and if I'm doing this for a couple of hours, big thumbs up. I'm all for it. But then... And I don't want to kind of like dive too much into the, the kind of puzzle ideas, but basically there's more than one orb and there is a point in the game where you're jumping out of one orb, picking up another orb. And there's like a bunch of orbs that exist that have their own little in like in world uh, biomes that you have to explore and you're jumping in and out of them while also with the ability to hold an orb with you so you can take one into a world that you then do something with that you then might need to jump into that orb so you're like kind of three four layers deep and it basically becomes inception but with bugs and the things that it asks you to do to figure out how to get because the, the game essentially is always like get from point a to point b but the way that the obstacles are lined up and there's no, you can't really brute force it. So I've stood there for an hour, genuinely an hour, think kind of trying to kind of like reverse engineer the process that I need to do to make those steps happen. And it's one of those games where when you figure out the thing, you do feel like a genius. <laughs> I felt like a genius on a couple of occasions. Um, one of the other gimmicks that it, it all, the, the, the kind of mechanical elements it adds, um, there, there are a few things that you need to unlock and to do it you have to find this like small kind of like uh, flying creature that will follow you for that certain part of the area um, and that's typically what unlocks like where the next orb is but there's always a path that you're following where there's like a kind of beam that you can cross but 
the, the little creature with you, he'll get trapped and then he'll be sent like, you know, a few pieces back and then you just go and unlock him and then you try again. So you have to now figure out how to get him across. And the way that the game asks you to do that are some of like my favorite uh, elements I've seen in like a puzzle game, uh, you know, like since Portal. I think this game has some really fucking ingenious ideas. Um, wow. And that's a big thing to it, it, like bring up, I would say. Portal. And there was at least three occasions where I was sat there genuinely for an hour trying to just figure out what what the fuck is it that you want me to do, but never feeling frustrated about it because I knew that. Like, and this is actually one of the, the things that I like about the game more than anything else is that whenever you get stuck, the, the game has a really like elegant way about checkpointing you, checkpointing you and kind of locking you into certain areas at any given time so that if you're in a space and you're stuck, there's you don't have to backtrack for like 20 minutes to go pick up a thing that you because just it's just not there whatever is the solution to your problem is right there in front of you but it's just about you figuring out like okay how do i use this orb to make this do that like it's it's just kind of fucking around with the elements right in front of you and nothing more than that sounds a lot like final fantasy always- 10 <laughs> Cloister yeah, Trials is, is all about how do I use this orb to fucking solve things in front of me, so... Yeah, I know, and I, and I was thinking about that game and then that specific kind of moment when I was playing this, and I was like, yeah, this is like so much of a better version of that <laughs> fucking gimmick that they were trying to do, um, because for a start, it just it moves a lot better, and you Look can... Temple rules. It's... Uh, 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 but, uh, uh, um, I think this thing... I think this thing looks incredible, like... For a game that doesn't have any other uh, like characters that you interact with, just the way that the environment looks, and there's this kind of like bio-organic, mechanical kind of like backdrop that you're in, and there's that sort of like I don't know what the word is, but just, there are certain elements that come have come across from like Inside and Limbo. Um, it's not quite body horror because it's not a, 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 a horror style sort of game, but there is a certain tone to it where, you know, you can see inside like a, a kind of like a glass chamber and there's some sort of like fleshy material that's kind of breathing and it feels just like a real lived in world, even though there's no other kind of characters around. And every time you're looking around in the world, there's just, there's things that are moving. There are things that just, they're animating even just slightly that just kind of make it feel like a, a living, breathing space. Um, I think this thing looks incredible. I think this thing sounds incredible. And I think the design of this thing is just, I, I'd be hard pressed to find someone who doesn't play this at the whole way through. And with at least a couple of the puzzles it comes up with think, all right, that's, that's pretty fucking cool. That's really well done. Um, I am a very big fan of this game and, uh, it's what I, I think like from beginning to end, if you don't get stuck, it's probably only about about four hours, but you will get stuck a couple of times and that will kind of add a couple of hours onto it. Uh, but I would I would strongly, highly recommend playing this. And there's no instruction manual. There's no fake language that you have to learn. It's just you <laughs> and your little galaxies. All right. I will play it because I was looking. Apparently the Switch version runs very well as well. So I might play it on Switch. Oh, brilliant. Or you could just play it on Game Pass and not pay any extra money. Yeah, Garrett. but then I'd have to actually that's, that's not, not how lie Garrett in bed. Works. <laughs> I become like seventy-five percent more likely to play a game if I can play it while lying in bed. 
<laughs> that is literally enough that I'm willing to pay money for that. <laughs> More power to you, I guess. That. I appreciate the laziness. Um, something else that I also spoke about last week that I sunk a few more hours into uh, Party Animals has actually turned out to be a lot of fun and what at first just seems like something that's just like you know a, a derivative of Gang Beasts um, but has you know a little bit more kind of character to it and, and you know the design of the animals is quite fun has turned out to have some of like my favourite uh, modes or levels um, in these types of like co-op online multiplayer games in quite some time and I was talking last week about okay you've got like the, the sort of atypical Gang Beasts like you've got a bunch of uh, characters in an environment and you're trying to throw them off the side using that floppy physics style sort of like you you never quite feel that you're in control but it also doesn't feel like it's broken and you're flinging fists and you're knocking uh your, your opponents out and you're picking them up and trying to kind of fling them over the side like that's all in there and i think some of the levels that it does that with is, is quite interesting but then the more i was playing it the more it started to introduce a couple of other modes uh, or other like uh, levels to play in um, that are just really well constructed. And so sometimes you'll have uh, uh, levels where you have two teams of four and there's a couple that are like sports based. So there's like an American football one, uh, which is, you know, like it's fairly self-explanatory, but it's, it's quite fun. But then you'll have ones where you've got... Um, uh, two trains that are running on the track and again you're split into two teams of four and you're trying to speed up your train and the way that you do that is you can pick up lumps of coal take it from one end to the other and put it into the furnace but what you can also do is you can jump onto your opponent's train and sabotage them by either trying to throw them off of the train trying to throw the coal off of the train or make your way up to the end of their train uh, where the furnace is and like hit on the brake so it'll slow them down and so there's that push and pull of trying to watch your side as you're watching you know your enemy jump over and try and sabotage you you trying to speed up your train and also deciding when to jump over and try and sabotage them and it's just got it's, it's just constructed well enough where you've got the, the floppy physics and it's all a bit wonky, but it's all wonky in the right kind of ways where it's just, it's just genuinely a lot of fun. And then there's like another one where you've got two arcade cabinets and you have to go up to it and you have to hold for like a second which then loads you into like a screen that's above um that puts you on like a 2d plane and there's like a 2d sprite of your character and you're trying to collect coins or diamonds um to uh to you know fill up the meter to win but as you're doing that obviously your opponents are coming over and they're trying to knock you off of the arcade cabinet so they can get onto it and you know there's two either side and it's just it's just complete chaos and complete like pandemonium but in the best way um and it also has like a couple other things. I haven't played Gang Beasts in a while, so I don't know what they added like mechanically. But um, what I remember from that is just you really could only kind of, you know, punch your opponent. But in this, you can run and you can do like a run and drop kick. And if you hit them, like, and you get it like in the sweet spot, you fucking yeet them off the side of the map. And it's tremendous. Um, and then it was like, there was one other uh, level that was based off of like the kind of typical Gang Beasts formula. And you're in like a kind of circle uh, environment and in the middle where you can like there's a, a space where you can throw uh, your opponents off but every sort of 20 seconds ago it's like a kind of neutron uh, collider or something like a, it generates like a black hole and if you're not holding on to something it will start to like spin you around it and if you're not holding on to something it will drop you into the middle when you're out 
So for like 15, 20 seconds, you're trying to slap your opponents about, you're trying to throw them off the side, but then everyone's desperately trying to grab onto something to, you know, stop themselves from being sucked into to the middle. And, you know, as you're watching it, you can just see like the way their arms are flapping around and they look stupid and goofy. And sometimes you'll have like two uh, two uh, players are holding onto the same box. And while they're holding onto it, they're trying to slap each other at the same time to knock them off of it and throw them into the middle. And it's just, it's just got a lot of charm to it. And I, you know, I'll play Lies of P for like half an hour and then I'm just like, uh, maybe I'll go and do one or two rounds of Party Animals. And it's just, it's a really good palate cleanser. And I, I really would like to get us all together to, because I'm, I'm curious to see how, because you can do party modes. And I'm curious to see like if all four of us would be able to be in a team or if it would throw like two of us onto one side, two of us onto another. So I kind of want to see how it does that. But I'd really like to play some of this online with you guys at some point, because I, I genuinely uh, think it's one of the more kind of like multiplayer style things that I've played this year and probably in the last couple of years uh, outside of Splatoon, obviously. Maybe if, if we uh, we meet up to record game of the year, we should just get all of the multiplayer games that came out this year and play like half an hour of each of them. Not like the worst shout. Round. Not the worst yeah. shout. I don't know if I've downloaded this or even know of this. Or I know I mentioned it last week, but it is on Game Pass. It is. Uh, I, I do think it's worth at least checking out for a couple of rounds to to see what it does. On Game Pass, you could say, "Where can I pay for it?" <laughs> can uh, Garrett I, buy it I, on I, Switch <laughs> so he can play it while he's having his shit, Mark? That's what he wants to know. I feel like it might be an Xbox exclusive. I haven't, I haven't touched. I don't uh, think anything multiplayer this year. It is on Windows as well, so I guess yeah, it is on Steam as well. I guess well. F zero ninety nine. I think it's the only like multiplayer yes. game I played this year. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good game. It's fucking great. Um, By the way, the, you, Garrett, you can get it on your Steam Deck so you can play it in bed. Oh, there you go. Good call. Yeah. Apparently the, the Steam version at launch was a bit wonky, but what fucking online game doesn't have online issues uh, at launch? Um, but apparently most of that's kind of handled now. So, yeah, it's it, I, I, I think it's quite fun. I really do. Okay. Hey, Mark, do you have another game to talk about? I do. I have one last thing to talk about. Uh, Chance of Senar, right. which is a real game, Garrett. It is Those real. Are a collection of words that don't add up to anything. Uh, well, let me tell you about what this game wants you to do then, right? Uh, so the general idea of this um, is you're trying to... Oh, <laughs> yeah, you're trying to decipher a fake language. So that's Garrett. Oh, God, then. no. Does um, it have a manual? It doesn't have a manual. No, what happens is uh, you... Translate. you're trying to yeah you're trying to translate this language and so you come up to like your first kind of character well so the, the, the game kind of starts you off and you come up to uh, like a handle um that you can open and close and it opens and closes the, the the door and on the uh the handle it has like three uh um uh, like characters or what's the uh, uh hieroglyphics i guess they're very kind of like more design-based than, than text-based. Um, but they all kind of try to uh, correlate to, to words. And you, you know, you will see like the, the characters and then your your character jots them down in their, in their uh, 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 book that they have. And Which is totally not a manual. It's just a book. Yeah? Yes, it's just a book. And okay. you can basically try and kind of guess what like what the words probably mean. And, you you know, it gives you like an on-screen keyboard so you can type the words in. 
and you then have like a, a journal to the left of you that has like actual kind of diagrams of those things and so you basically you try and guess what the word is and then you drag it over and, and place it onto um, that that part of the journal and if you get all three for that area you're incorrect um, it will then basically solidify and kind of bakes those words in so that the next time you go and talk to someone if they use one of those characters it will immediately like translate the word for you a lot like and final so fantasy 10 as you collect yes, those out of bed manuals, it oh develops the language. It's interesting the influence of Final Fantasy X. Yes, yes. Oh, Garrett, I was thinking the same thing. I'm so happy. But you're not just collecting <laughs> fucking manuals. You're actually having to figure the logic out of, like, where... It, it asks you to figure out the words, not just collect them, all right? And you mentioned a handle, which is a lot like the machina used mm -hmm. by the Albert yes. in Final Fantasy X. So, like, the, you know, you then... You come out of that room, and in the next room, um, someone starts talking to you, and... Uh, you know, you then have to try and start figuring out what he's trying to say. He's also using words that you've just used for the handle in terms of open and closing, because you have to try and open and close a gate uh, to let like uh, water come through. So then he can get across to the other side. So then he can pull a handle and then get you across from the other side. So from Is there, it you... written rather than spoken dialogue, just out of interest. It's all written. Yeah, no, no, there's nothing spoken. It's all written dialogue. No wonder Mark loves it. Um. And so you can quickly decipher that, all right, that probably the first thing he said is like, hello. Um, so I typed in hello and it's actually greetings because uh, it's used as the same character for hello and goodbye. So it's not like entirely strict about the word that you use. Like there's kind of like, as long as it's kind of contextually in the right place, it will like uh, solidify it for you and bake it in. And from there, you know, like quickly, I'm looking at like four different uh, sort of diagrams of like this journey that it looks like pilgrimages were taken, uh, uh, pilgrims were taken. Uh, there's like an image of the sun that has a character. So, you know, it very quickly, like I went from having four or five characters to work with to like, I've now got about 20 words that I'm trying to translate. And, you know, the way you do it is you go around the world, you meet different characters, you come into different circumstances where you'll have a couple of, uh, of these hieroglyphics that you've already translated. And then there's a little bit of like, kind of, I guess, logic just using common sense about like the context of the situation you're in and what you think the character is trying to ask you to do and then sometimes there's just having to do a little bit of, like investigative work to just figure it out and I, I think it's it's really well put together I, I like it has this kind of two-tone yellow yellow and purple backdrop to everything um other than like the water and I think it's just it's got a it's kind of reminding me a little bit of Sable from a couple of years ago, um, but the animation's a lot more smoother than what Sable was doing. Um, but no, I, I think it's a really uh, interesting idea for a game, and currently uh, I, I think it's executing it you know, fairly well, but I'm also very early in, and I'm kind of worried that as it sort of expands the amount of words that I have to try and figure out, it's going to get overwhelming quite quickly. It does sound distressingly like least... learning the game. Yeah, yeah. A little bit, but I think that it's. I, I think that at least for the moment, the presentation of it is kind of keeping me locked in. But yeah, I do worry that there'll be a point where I hit a proverbial wall where I'm just like, there's too many fucking things here that I need to try and figure out, and I'm just going to either look at a, a walkthrough or just give up. Um, but for the moment, at least, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty well put together. So. That is me for this week. Mark's learning a new language. I'd recommend Duolingo for this, personally. 
I have fucking tried Duolingo. I, I try every like six months to load up and learn a language in Duolingo Klingon. and it never works. I have to be in the country. It's the only way. I have to be in the country. Uh, he says, as he still not learned Irish yet yeah, after None seven years. I was going to say yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, you fuckers need to be talking for it for me to need to use it. So D- D- Dave knows it, I mm. think. Or yeah, I think one? I've only ever heard him say about five <laughs> words in it. <laughs> you, uh, you don't want to know what those five words mean. Well, either, no, no. no. <laughs> Tell us in the Gwea. Yeah. Cage me a vulture, Garrett. Cage me a vulture. All right, let's jump into the news before we bounce. Um, so last week, we spoke about a bunch of people that were laid off. Let's talk about that some more then. Um, so Creative Assembly that were working on Hyenas, uh, which was cancelled, and then the layoff started to happen, was apparently Sega's biggest budget game ever. Uh, YouTube channel Voland uh, shared an eye-opening video on the recent cancellation with claims from anonymous developers detailing a total lack of direction around the game, with one contributor stating many members of the leadership team were asleep at the wheel, but they never seemed to lose their jobs. The same source noted an engine change and not committed to doing anything adventurous with the game were all part of Hyena's ultimate demise. Another contributor said that internal feedback on the game was poor, adding it felt that Hyenas would melt into the background of an already saturated multiplayer shooter market. Uh, these claims have since been corroborated by VGC. Uh, the video also goes on. Sources said that while Hyenas was originally planned as a premium game, it had transitioned to a free-to-play game with microtransactions by the time it was unceremoniously cancelled by Sega. Um, I think that we are, you know, officially at the point now where this idea that uh you can just kind of put out a and uh, to be honest i think anthem really should have been the moment the turning point for this but the idea that you can put out one of these games where uh you know a games as a live service and it's guaranteed to make you money you know we're at the point now where these games aren't even actually seeing the light of day uh and publishers are realizing like there's no point putting this thing out so i'm hoping that this really is a moment where we don't even bother even fucking putting pen to paper on making these things and we go and do our other things that are very interesting. Mark, it it said it cost between seventy to a hundred million dollars for a game they didn't even. That's more than the budget of Renfield, Garrett. Can you believe it? <laughs> it's going to make even less money than Renfield did. But but they but they could have put that money towards Renfield and made a better movie. No, it seems it's it's crazy they're spending that much money and then just underwriting this game. Surely that doesn't make sense. Like, at least release it and try and make some cash from it. I, I don't know. I just the, the, there's a tweet um, here that says like I was in the boardroom where they presented hyenas game concept internally in 2017. PUBG, Overwatch, Destiny, and Tarkov will take five years to make. It was so crushing to see how that's how games were made at my favorite studio. It's like you know yes games can take a while to make but also like the the whole entire market and the direction that the video game industry can go in can drastically change in five years yes five years ago the games as a life service was booming and everyone was making money well most people were making money when they tried to do it but like the idea that that's still going to be the case in five years time and you're going to come to market and you're not going to have seen like 10 fucking failed attempts at that in the meantime is just a a catastrophic a, a approach to making a game and i'm just you know i and everyone else is not surprised that this is the result we've ended up at yeah unless you have like a really fresh take on it um something that's a concept that you can see 
executed but you think if we just did this two or three things to it a bit like fortnite did with PUBG, i guess it's like we just want to do a few few slightly different things and then boom we can make a really popular game but it doesn't surprise me because much the same way that the the movie industry has kind of got a bit stale and lots of the money is invested in big blockbusters and there's not a lot of you know chances being taken on like mid-budget movies it seems the same thing in the game industry if you want us if you want to get a game where you're going to have a massive budget then it has to be reflective of something that's popular at that time i guess if you're going to get it signed off by a big studio or by the people that kind of hold the purse strings at these places um you know if you go and pitch to an executive and you're like oh we're gonna do a you know like a big game like a Fortnite, where loads of people are gonna play it and we need like 70 to 100 million dollars and people are like Fortnite, that that i've heard of that my son plays that here i'll sign off the money where you go like oh we're gonna do this single player game that's like really arty you know or get lots of like good feedback on metacritic people will love it and it'll be no one's gonna sign that off <laughs> so it doesn't surprise me mark that this is where the you know the industry is creatively at this point no one wants to take chances anymore people just want to guarantee a hit i think yeah they stepped on every rake you could step on here <laughs> Like, in terms of chasing trends that are fired on, like, Fortnite is the world's biggest anomaly in that they managed to turn around that game that was in developmental hell and turn it into something that was really popular in the space of about three months. Like, Fortnite, if what we know for what took off, was built in about three months. And that pretty much can't happen anywhere else and i say it every time but like every time there is a successful one of these there is less room for the next one like there are only so many Mm -hmm. gamers with only so much time and each time you get another apex or another Fortnite or another call of duty or even like a like even like a wow or a league legends any like game that people play continuously every time there's a successful one there's less oxygen for everyone else so you see all of these people chasing the same trend that as you said five years down the line is completely different and we're operating in a completely different market and like these games are really hard to make (laughs) Like that's that's the other side, like to make something that people want to play continuously for years is extremely difficult, requires a lot of like diligence and a lot of long tail support long after release. And people don't get that. They're just like Fortnite destiny money and that's that's basically the equation that goes into this instead of like what where what are we bringing? What's cool? What's interesting? What about this is going to excite people? instead they're just like trend here money and and you talk about the oxygen there that's not even taken into consideration you have something like roblox Mm. which you know you talk about like the last five years and what that's come to from what it is now which is it's it's entire ecosystem they're not games anymore they're platforms i i just uh, oh my god i mean you know and we've been fucking going on for the last couple of weeks in terms of uh the people that are being punished for these th- these decisions were not involved in the making of these these decisions and it is it is infuriating to continuously see uh the wrong people be punished for like just like things that you can just look at on a piece of paper and just go well that's a really fucking bad idea um and as a result you know like uh people have lost their jobs uh and and sega have lost and look 
the fact that they cancelled it, like that's the one smart thing they did out of all of this because they knew that there was no money to be made in this and they were probably going to lose more money if this thing actually did see the light of day. So, you know, a good job, Sega, I guess. You got there in the end? Go make Sonic Frontiers Unlike 2. Unlike me, they do understand the sunk cost fallacy. <laughs> well, I think there's a lot more fucking money to be working with there. Yeah, Garrett, that's that's some serious sunk cost, mate. That's not 45 minutes of Renfield. <laughs> that's $70 million. <laughs> uh, speaking of incompetence and uh, just... I don't know, Telltale Studios may be, like, one of the worst... Like, one of the biggest success stories slash one of the worst horror shows in terms of project management when it comes to the games industry that I can think of. Because we were talking about them for the Konami Corner Award at least, what, like, three, four years ago. I can't remember if they won, but they were certainly in the last two I remember we were talking about. But they are back in the news. Um, the resurrected developer behind the likes of uh, the Expanse, the Telltale series, and the upcoming The Wolf Among Us 2 has confirmed layoffs at the studio after a former employee shared a message on social media claiming most of his team had been let go last month. News of layoffs at Telltale began circulating after cinematic artist Jonah Huang, who's worked at the studio in both its current and original incarnation, they fired him twice. which closed down in... <laughs> Closed down in 2018, claimed the studio laid most of us off in September. Huang also appeared to imply further troubles for The Wolf Among Us 2, which was originally due to release this year, before Telltale pushed it back to 2024 to avoid burnout and crunch, fair enough, saying he couldn't comment on the status of its development due to a binding NDA. He said that the team was very small and he was genuinely excited for the game. Telltale has yet to publicise any of what has happened. Uh, now, though, uh, responding to a query from Eurogamer, Telltale has confirmed job losses at the studio. Uh, due to current market conditions, we regrettably had to let some of our Telltale team go recently. We did not take this action lightly, and our commitment to storytelling and finding new ways to do so remains the same. We are grateful to everyone for their dedication along this journey, and we are working to support everyone impacted. Okay. Actually, also, I didn't put it in here, but Naughty Dog, they also laid off a bunch of people this week. Naughty Dog, the people that made The Last of Us, fucking laid people off this week. I am... I'm just apoplectic with, like, the, the last couple of weeks, because none of these people had to be let go. All of these companies have money. Find for a uh, fucking epic. You've been burning through money. You still make a shit ton of money. Tim Sweeney could have taken like, I don't know, 0.5% of a pay cut and we'd have been fine. I It's uh, at, actually generally making me angry that this keeps happening and we're not at the end of it yet. Yeah, it's every industry as well, by the way. It's not just video games. I, I, I know, I know, but I, I guess it's the... It's the ecosystem that I'm the bubble I'm in so it's the one I see the but most you'll also of. absolutely and fair yeah, enough it's also the case of every, every industry but you will also have like a story at the end of the year it's like video games at it's best year ever <laughs> like it, it, uh, yeah, guarantee yeah, it yeah. like you'll have something like that at the end of the year a video game growth yeah. was plus 8% despite firing 15% uh, of their staff across the board because capitalism evil bad bad system bad 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 I'm not even like that much of a like, oh, burn the eat the rich, burn everything down. But like at some point it becomes undeniable. (laughs) Yeah, it's just when you see the levels of discrepancy between the wealthiest and, you know, people that used to like the middle class is gradually eroding away. Like it is becoming a non-existent. I I will adjust your phrasing. I will adjust it to being eroded because I would like to apply intent. Yeah. 
Oh, what, to do it on purpose? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Th- that's what people do. They get a lot of money and then they pull up the ladder behind them. That That's how people work. It's depressing. Um, and it can only end in a revolution Hell yeah. at some point. Uh, yeah. Anarchy. Death Rollins leading us. Uh, We're going to burn it down. But for now. <laughs> but, but, but for now, I'm going to enjoy buying a pair of Jordans and drinking <laughs> a, a nice Starbucks and uh, being absolutely the problem. We can all be hypocrites. Are you participating in a society as well? See, I'm a genius. We live in a society sometimes. Um, you're not... Did you... Uh, I uh, Just to go back to the whole thing we're talking there about games as a life service. You remember Redfall? Oh, we're that talking came about out? games. No, I was just say, you remember Redfall that came out this mm-hmm. year? Uh, at, one, at one point this week, its player count on Steam dropped to three. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big game. That's a big Xbox exclusive Bethesda game. Which I also just want to point out, you need four players to make up a team in that. <sighs> Not oh good. Oh my god. Imagine being those three dudes just waiting. Because we know they're dudes, by the way. <laughs> you know, who are just sticking with it. Garrett, you should, you should play Redfall. You should go play with those three uh, dudes. I've had enough of Renfield. I don't want to add something that sounds relatively close to Renfield. Maybe yeah, we'll play it over Red- Christmas. Redfall, Renfield, Renslayer. Robinson. It all sounds the same. Uh, one last story for us this week, um, and this is more of a personal one for me. Uh, game developer Dang is closing its doors. Um, the studio revealed that it was unable to find funding for its next project and out of money. Uh, the team, there's a five, uh, five-man team based out of New York that made Boomerang X, uh, which was one of my uh, highlights of 2021. Uh, it's next. Shame. It's very much a shame. Yeah, its next project in development was uh, called IO Interloper, uh, which is still currently listed on Steam. The team didn't rule out the possibility of making small stuff in the future, uh, but they've elected that they had to split up because they basically weren't just didn't have any money anymore, and uh, were not able to find funding through publishing or otherwise. Um, and it's just, it's you know, like. This this is more heartbreaking for me just because, you know, this is a studio that made a game that was very well received and um, really had some chops about them in terms of, like, their their craft for, for making, like, a really good video game. And it's just, it's really rough out there at the moment. You know, I've been listening to um, uh, different talks lately from publishers and, uh, again, talking, you know, from a personal note about what I'm trying to do at the moment, like... People are out there are very uh, hesitant about putting money on anything at the moment, and it does seem that you know the games that do hit off. There's this a little bit of like kind of accidentally stumbling into a hit. Um, you know, even something like Dave the Diver this year, like that's not an indie developer. Like it looks like an indie game, but that is not an indie developer. Um, and like the last game big rocks, kind of man. thing that I feel like exploded. I don't know, maybe like Cult of the Lamb last year, but like that was a Devolver Digital game, and that's about as big as you can get in terms of an indie publisher. So it is like to, to go back to Legacy for a second, which is a Korean developed game, I believe. It it is, but yeah. that does have the things like it launched in the Game Pass, which I think is almost a necessity at this stage, unless you have like the major yep. marketing support of one of the big three behind your indie game, you're just kind of fucked. Yep. Yep. Yep, thanks for that, Garrett. That's just what I needed no, to hear Nintendo at the moment. Will back you. You'll be in an Indies <laughs> Direct and everyone will cheer and we'll celebrate you. It'll be fine. That is the plan, hopefully. I mean, I'm kind of hoping as well Phil Spencer will come along and just, you know, give me a big wheelbarrow cash. 
Um, maybe if he wants to give me that Activision money, I, I wouldn't say no to it. <laughs> uh, Phil, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, I just I'm I'm gutted about this because uh, it's it's one thing when you see you know studios kind of prop up and close every day and whatnot, but when it's one of them that like was behind like a like Boomerang X is a really fucking good game, um, and I was excited to see what they do next, but alas. Um, but hey, you know, considering I've been talking about Cocoon and that was like, uh, you know, teams that had f- uh, splintered off into other projects, maybe the same thing will happen year, here and in, uh, in a couple of years' time. I'll be talking about whatever they come up with next. Yeah, so all these people just work on like skins for Call of Duty. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Garrett, please, no. Is that, <laughs> that my future? Is future. that what I have to look They'll build your game into Call I of like Duty. I like how we both went to that. <laughs> <laughs> Both Mark and myself just jumped to his ex- incredibly bleak future, <laughs> making making fucking like golden guns on Call of Duty. Uh, I'll be in I'll be in the, the the Roblox ecosystem making shitty little projects in that or something. Just Great. it's just to end on a happy note. There are there are actually new or there is new content coming to Dave the Diver soon. There's like crabs and lobsters and more crazy missions. So if anybody did like that game and is kind of still around on it. Dave the Diver still knocking out fire. And on that note, we will end it for another installment of A Link to the Cast. As always, you can like, listen, subscribe on uh, your platform of choice. Uh, we always appreciate your comments, your feedback. Um, yeah, always keep in touch with us. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at Links to the Cast. As always, I am at Living Projects. Dave is at Data Dave. Jack is at Jack Lazel. Garrett is at Garrett Kidney. We will be back next week. And uh, But until then, thank you for listening and uh, stay safe, stay sane, stay, stay chill, stay cool. Bye.